I want you to open with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10 today. How many of you are ready to get into the Word of God this morning? Amen. Romans chapter 10. Now, I have good news for you. I have a timer this morning. I've set that timer for 35 minutes. That's the good news. The bad news is I don't ever pay attention to them. So there's good news and bad news for you this morning. But we're going to jump right in this morning. We, we're not going to waste any time with anything else. Uh, I'm not going to take any time to uh, try and warm you up or make you feel good. We're just going to jump right into the Word of God. How many of you are ready to receive God's Word? Amen. So Romans chapter 10, and we're going to start this morning in verse 9. And we're going to read uh, verse 9 through verse 17 this morning. Paul writing, he says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, in these next few moments and over the next few days, I pray that your word would have a profound impact on our lives, that, that our time spent here meeting with you, worshiping you, Lord, that we would be changed. Lord, we, we read about the, the stories of men and women in the Bible who were in your presence and were changed forever. And Lord, that's what we want. Lord, we don't want to just have a few good meetings. We don't want to just hear some good music and, and take some offerings and, and hear some preaching. Lord, we want to meet with you and we want to be changed and so, Lord, have your way with us this morning and over the next few days. Shape us, mold us, conform us into the image of your son, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in his name that we pray. Everybody said amen. There's three things I want to draw your attention to from this passage this morning. The three things are, number one, the necessity of salvation, number two, the means of salvation, and number three, the heralds of salvation. The necessity, the means, and the heralds 
of salvation. So firstly, the the need for salvation, the necessity of salvation. We, We see here in the first few verses of this passage that three times Paul talks about being saved. Being saved. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved, he says. He says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That there is a need for salvation. In the first three chapters of Romans, Paul beautifully and powerfully outlines and demonstrates the need for salvation. He begins, and and we're going to flip back and forth through Romans this morning if you want to keep your place there in in, uh, chapter 10, but go with me quickly to chapter 1 this morning. In chapter 1, he begins with discussing and outlining the problem of sin, the problem of sin, the disease that plagues humanity. This disease that plagues humanity is not just a, a bodily ailment. It's not just a physical problem. It's not just a, a mental problem. It's not something that's just a problem that you can be educated out of. It's not a problem of, of economics, of resources. It's not a problem of the environment you grew up in. So that any external stimulus cannot fix the problem. That The problem is sin, and, and sin has produced death in the spirit of Man, when God created man, he he breathed his life-giving spirit into man. And at that very moment, man became a a living being. But because of sin and sin entering the world, this disease that plagues humanity, it plagues us at the deepest core of our being. So that there is now therefore nothing we can do about it to fix this problem. Nothing. Because everything we would try to do would be external. External. We cannot get to the core of the issue. And so Romans 1, he begins by making this case. And he begins by dealing with the Gentile nations. Paul's writing to the church in Rome. The church in Rome has both Jew and Gentile believers together. So he he starts by addressing the problem of sin in the, the Gentile nations. And he makes this case, and we see it here in verse 25 where he says that the nations have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they have worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, God has put his, his nature, his character, his attributes, the evidence for God in, on display in all of creation so that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the earth, the firmament, the the creation, the, the trees scream that there is a creator. Humanity itself is evidence of the fact that there is a designer, that there is a creator, that there is uh, someone, a God in heaven, a personal creator. You know, right now, humanity is trying to play God. We've always tried to play God. Uh, We see that desire to play God dates all the way back to Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. But humanity, again, is is building itself another Tower of Babel called artificial intelligence, AI. We're, we're, We're playing God again. 
But the amazing thing about artificial intelligence is it's only as intelligent as the designer makes it. Artificial intelligence in and of itself is an argument for God. Because intelligence doesn't come from not intelligence. For, for this to be developed, it has to come from a mind. So this truth is on display everywhere. But in verse 18 and 19, he talks about how in unrighteousness, men suppress the truth about God in their hearts. So while our eyes can see the evidence, our sinful hearts deny the evidence that we can see plainly and suppress that truth. And humanity tries to suppress that truth by any number of means, whatever means possible, which leads to sin, brokenness, and depravity. But the Gentile nations, again, he's speaking with these nations that have exchanged, he says, verse 25, exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And this substitution of truth for a lie, all this dates all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve chose to not believe God's word, but to follow after the, the, the alternate word, the antithesis word of Satan, exchanging the truth of God for a lie, it results in a perversion of worship. A perversion of worship because humanity was designed as a worshiping being. We worship. We exalt things. We magnify things. We glorify things. That's what humanity does because that's what humanity was designed to do. And so this exchange of a truth for a lie in the core of our being results in a perversion of worship because we were made to exalt, magnify, glorify, and image God most high. But now instead of doing that, we do that with the creation rather than the creator. And so we worship the creature. We worship creation. We worship celebrity and power and wealth and sex and drugs and, and all kinds of manner of diversions because we were created to worship, to exalt, to glorify, to give ourselves to something. Of course, we were designed to give ourselves wholly to the Lord. Now this worshiping of the create creature rather than the creator it results in all kinds of depravity and immorality, paganism. This is what he describes in verse 28. Again, speaking of the Gentile nations, he says they did not sit, see fit to acknowledge God. And so God gave them up to a debased mind. So, so wor the, the worshiping of a false god actually debases your mind, makes it so that your mind doesn't even function properly. I know it's hard to believe in 2023 that there could be people who are very, very smart who get things very, very wrong. I know that's a shock to all of us. Our operating system at the very core of our being, if, if it is off, if we have exchanged the truth for a lie, every ultimate conclusion we come to will absolutely be wrong because our foundation is wrong. And so there's the debasing of the mind, a mind that doesn't come to the conclusions it ought to, even with all the evidence that is there, because that evidence has to be suppressed. 
So verse 29, what does it result in? It results in, and see if this doesn't describe the world we live in today, a world that has substituted the foundations, especially Western culture, on on which we were founded, again, for a lie. And as that is happening in Western culture, paganism is coming in, and the results of paganism on display. Verse 29, what results is a people filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Check. Evil, check, covetousness. We don't have that problem, do we? That's the, that's the number one sin. Amen? I mean, whole, whole movements are, are, are voted into power based on the idea of covetousness. I will take their stuff and give it to you if you give me your vote. Malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the state of humanity in rebellion against God. This is what this false worship results in. This is where it goes and this is where it always goes. Pagan nations, this is what you find. And I think in the congregation that they are sitting in, reading this letter from the Apostle Paul, there's one group of people that are maybe feeling a little bit uh, picked on. The Gentiles, he's been calling out all the Gentiles. And I imagine them sitting there saying, well, what about about the Jewish people in our congregation? And sort of seeing some of the Jewish people there, like, yeah, these Gentile nations, they're the worst, you know. And then he flips over to chapter 2 and he begins to deal with the Jew. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So he addresses now in chapter 2 the the Jewish people, and it turns out that the Jews are in the exact same boat because they're doing the exact same things. They're practicing the exact same sins. Except in one sense, they're actually worse off because the Jew has had the law of God which clearly outlined and explained what was evil and what was good. And still the Jew chose in large part to do what was evil and to rebel against God. We see this here in verse 11 where it says that God shows no partiality. And the issue is though, is not just knowing the truth. You must believe and obey the truth. He says this in verse 21. Again, now he's talking to the Jewish people. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? That those who should have been lights to the nations, in fact, chose to rebel against God as well. And this case that he makes for the need for salvation for both Jew and Gentile, it culminates in chapter 3. And I want to look at verse 9 of chapter 3. 
What then, he says, are Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin. All have sinned. All are under sin. No one is righteous. No, not one, verse 11. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If you're here today and you think that you are a pretty good person, newsflash, God does not think so. You, you may be able to fool your family. You may be able to fool your coworkers. You may be able to fool even your church family. But there is one that you cannot fool, and that is God Almighty. God Almighty. In verse 16 of chapter 2, it says that God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. God not only sees your actions that all of us sees, he sees down to the deepest corner of your heart. He sees what nobody sees. He sees what is done in secret. He sees even the thoughts that you think that nobody, you think that nobody else sees and knows. God knows. And none of us is righteous in his eyes. None of us is righteous before him. All have sinned and fallen short of his glory, both Jew and Gentile. And if you think that you can earn your right standing with God, if you think that by being good, you can make yourself acceptable in God's eyes, Paul goes on to say in verse 20 of chapter 3, that by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We are in need of salvation because we have all sinned against righteous and holy God and we are under the righteous wrath of God in our sin, dead in our trespasses and sin. This is not just the, the, the Gentiles, this is also the Jews. Everyone has sinned. And it's not that we can make ourselves, we cannot improve ourselves before God. We need a Savior. And this is the, the bad news. God, the gracious creator, God, the gracious lawgiver, and humanity, rebellious creatures and rebellious lawbreakers, under the condemnation and the weight of our own sin. He makes this case, he makes it powerfully through chapter 3 of the, the need of a solution to this sin problem. But thankfully, he can only go on about the bad news for so long before the good news absolutely erupts out of him. We see this in chapter 3, verse 21. But now. I love those butts in the Bible that just come out of nowhere and just change everything. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, 
Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who will believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation, that word means atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All need a savior. And the good news is that the the salvation that we need comes through Jesus Christ who died and rose again. This now is the the means of salvation. The means of salvation. How are we to be saved? Well, again, he talks about this. Hold your place in chapter 3 and go with me back to chapter 10. The means of salvation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from my sin? Saved from the effects of my sin? And saved from the penalty that I was due because of my sin? The means of salvation is faith in Christ. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is the Lord of all. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In in chapters four through seven, obviously don't have time to walk through them this morning, but he uses Abraham as an example, a prototype, if you will, of justification by faith, of the means of salvation, of the way by which we can be saved. There's only one way of salvation and it's not by keeping the law Because again, all have sinned and fallen short. But we receive the work of Christ, his dying on the cross, his sacrifice on the cross, his atoning death on the cross, his shed blood for sinners, him enduring the wrath of God on the cross that we deserve. We receive that by faith. By faith. It's appropriated to us not by works, lest any man should boast, but by faith. You see, I must believe upon Christ. I must trust in him and in his work alone to save me. If I'm trusting in works of the law, then I'm trusting in myself and my own goodness and my own righteousness to save me, which is idolatry. I must trust upon Christ in the work that he accomplished when he hung there on that cross and declared that it is finished. 
The penalty paid in full. Romans chapter 5, we can flip there just as quickly as possible. Romans chapter 5. All of these passages, very familiar. Verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did not come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. Christ died for sinners, and God's love is put on display in that fact that he did not die for his friends, but that he died for his enemies, that we would be changed and transformed and become more than friends, but become part of his very family, the children of God. His love for us put him on that cross. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift. Everybody say free gift. Free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord Salvation is found in only one place, in Christ Jesus our Lord, with no distinction made between Jew and Gentile. There is only one way of salvation for all mankind. There are not many roads that leads to God. There is only one way. It is only in Jesus Christ. Only Jesus died for sin. Only Jesus paid the price for sin. Only Jesus rose from death in victory over sin. Only Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father, interceding for us and bestowing salvation on all who would believe upon him. There are not many ways to God. There is only one means of salvation. Salvation is necessary. Without it, we only have death, eternal damnation, and there is only one means of salvation, the death and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this salvation must be received by faith. It must be appropriated personally. I cannot have faith for you to receive salvation. I cannot have faith for my kids to receive salvation. You cannot have faith for somebody else to receive salvation. Everyone must believe themselves. There's only one way. There's not one way for the Jew and one way for the Gentile. There's not one way for the American and another way for the Mexican. There's not one way for the Japanese and a different way for the Chinese. There's not one way for the Ukrainians and a different way for the Russians. There is only one way. There is only one way. It's not many paths lead to God. 
It's not, you know, these people follow Confucius and these people follow, follow Buddha. These people follow Mohammed and they all had a little bit of the light. No! Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes upon me will not live in darkness, but have eternal life. There is only one way for Jew and Gentile and every single nationality, every single language, every single nation, tribe, and tongue. There is only one way. Faith in Christ. Amen. This leads us now to the, to the third point this morning. The heralds of salvation. Paul identifies in this passage a, a problem, an issue, something that we must pay attention to and get busy on. If there's only one way of salvation for Jew and Gentile, for all nations, for all tribes, for all tongues, for all cultures, through faith in the only Son of God who died and rose again, if that is the only way, and everyone who calls on his name in faith will be saved. The glory is good news. Verse 15, uh, 14, chapter 10, he poses an important question. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe upon him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7 here, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, will everyone hear and obey? Will everyone receive the message? No. Paul addresses that reality in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? But verse 17 is so important. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Salvation is necessary. Salvation is found in only one person. And salvation must be received by faith. And faith only comes from one place, by hearing the word of God. Therefore, there must be then someone who will go and preach. And so now Paul turns his attention to these precious souls who have surrendered their lives to this great task. For there to be salvation, there must be a preacher. There must be a minister. There must be somebody who will go, who will sacrifice, who will preach the word, who will organize evangelistic crusades, who will pass out tracts, who will pass out Bibles, who will get the word out because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have here with us, Destiny Church, this week some very special guests 
who have given themselves and given their lives to this great task of heralding the good news so that those who hear might believe and be saved. It's hard for us to believe sometimes here in the United States of America where there's literally a church on every corner that there are still nations, nations, nations where the vast majority of the souls there have never heard the name Jesus. Let alone the gospel. Nations still living in darkness who have never heard and how will they hear unless somebody goes and tells them. And so we are this week very honored to have these special guests with us this morning. But hear me in this and hear me clearly. This is so important. You are no less important to the great commission than they are. You, Destiny Church member, are no less are to be no less involved in the nation's hearing the gospel than they are. You are no less important, we in San Antonio, no less important to the advancements of the kingdom than the missionary. Because let me ask you this, who is going to herald the gospel to your family? Who is going to tell them? How, how can they believe unless they hear? And, and how can they hear unless somebody preaches, unless somebody shares it? Who is going to share it if it's not us? Who is going to share the gospel, herald the gospel to your family? Who is going to herald the gospel in your workplace? It's not me. Unless you invite me, I'll come and do it, but make sure that's your last day. Put in your two weeks ahead of time. Who, who will do it in your workplace? Who, who will herald the gospel at your school? Who will herald the gospel in your neighborhood? Our missionaries aren't going to do it. They've got their own fields. They've got their own people that they're called to. And just as God has called them there, he has called you here. We are no less missionaries. We are to be no less involved in heralding the good news. They have their field and we have ours. God has planted us here in San Antonio to be a light to this community. To share the news that saves, the news that produces Faith, you, you think, well, man, these are hard people. These, these people hate God. Yeah, yeah, he talked about that in chapter one. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It, it could be that they just haven't heard yet. It could be that they just haven't had faith in their heart produced yet. I believe with all my heart that God has souls in your workplace for you to win for the kingdom. 
in your family, in your school, in your neighborhood. But faith only comes by one way. And if we stay silent, there will be no faith produced in anybody's heart. That's why Paul begins chapter 1 by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. We must likewise not be ashamed. We should this week as we hear about where they're going and what they're doing and how God is using them, it should inspire us and embolden us to go across the street, to go to the next cubicle, to, to, to witness to our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors, our family. It should inspire us to likewise be a part of advancing the kingdom of God. If you agree with me, say amen. amen. That's the great beauty of our missions conference. For 61 years, we've now gathered, well, for me, for 41 years, but uh, for some of us, 61 years, we've been hosting this conference. And that we who are planted here in San Antonio is our mission field. We get to rub shoulders with those who have dedicated their whole lives to heralding the gospel. As we rub shoulders with them and we, we hear how God is faithful to them and how God is using them and how God is working through them. Listen, listen I'm not trying to put anybody on a pedestal. All glory to God. But as we see how God can use us frail human beings with all of our faults and our failures and our weaknesses, it inspires us to think that God could likewise use me. God could likewise use me. And that as we rub shoulders and as we do, our home mission here to San Antonio is strengthened because it takes hands and it takes feet to change hearts and lives. Who will go? Who will be the feet that carry this beautiful good news? We see the bad news all around us. The evidence is on display. We, we see clearly the, the, the issue, the sin. We see clearly the necessity for salvation. We know as God's people, born again believers, that there's only one way of salvation. But will we be heralds? Will we allow the Lord to send us to our families and our neighborhoods and our schools and our workplaces? God calls the feet of those who take that good news beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who go to preach the good news. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. And as we close this morning with a time of prayer... I'm going to ask you, who do you love that you know needs salvation? Who do you love that needs to believe upon Christ? Who is it? What is their name? 
God knows their name. What is their name? Can you see them? Jesus said, the fields are ripe unto harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord would send forth laborers into his harvest field. When I look around this room this morning, I don't just see one or two or three or 15 missionaries. I see a whole room full of missionaries. I see a whole room full of laborers. Amen. The Lord has called us. The Lord has commissioned us. Maybe not to go to China or Japan or Mexico or Ukraine or or wherever, but he has called us to be heralds. Who do you love that needs salvation? You are their missionary. You are their missionary. And just as the, the missionaries we have with us labor in prayer, labor for the salvation of the souls where they are ministering, I likewise call upon you to begin to labor in prayer, to intercede for their soul and be willing to herald the good news that produces faith, that results in salvation to those that you love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great and glorious salvation that we have. Lord, that you have through your Son saved us, set us free. Lord, we once were in darkness, but now we are in the light. We once were dead, but now we are alive. We once were blind, but now we see. Lord, produce within our hearts a passion. Lord, breaking, a breaking of our heart over the lost, over the souls, over the harvest, God. That as you break our hearts, as you begin to work in us and work in us deeply, You would lead us into intercession. You would lead us to stand in the gap. And that you would use our hands and and our mouths and our feet to, to carry the good news that produces faith, that results in salvation. And that this year, 2023, this year would be the year that we see our loved ones come to faith in Christ. Lord, work through us, your people, for the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.